Patchwork Heart Ministry and Fiat Ministry Network invite you to discover your mission. A brand new in-depth monthly video series featuring engaging Catholic speakers who will challenge you to live your life abundantly. For only $25 a month, you will receive a personal monthly mission, including three full-length inspirational talks that build upon a new theme each month. Sign up for the Discover Your Mission tier at patreon.com slash patchworkheartministry today. Welcome to the Sewing Hope Podcast. This is a show all about implanting hope in our hearts. I'm Bill Snyder, joined by my friend Ann DeSantis. We're glad you're here for our uplifting conversation about faith and how it sustains our hearts through all the seasons of life. Thanks for walking with us. And good evening, everybody, and welcome to Sowing Hope. I am Bill Snyder, and thank you so much for joining us on this Thanksgiving evening. Yes, uh, we are pre-recording this, but thank you for being here on Thanksgiving evening. We have so many things to be grateful and thankful for, uh, even in this year of uh, 2020, which I know has been a difficult year for many of our listeners, even for ourselves. So uh, we are we are here, though, and... Uh, giving you some uplifting uh, stuff. Maybe you're listening to this after uh, stuffing your face with some turkey and uh, some mashed potatoes, but uh, but nevertheless, there's always more. Our God is good, and He uh, always gives us a second helping. So, uh, I want to bring in uh, my co-host as always. Uh, welcome, Andy Santos. Uh, how are you doing this evening? I am fantastic. Happy Thanksgiving, Bill. Yes, happy Thanksgiving to you. And we have a wonderful guest uh, today. Why don't you tell us about our guest? Yes, I'm so honored. Uh, We have Harold Burke Sivers, Catholic author and speaker. I think many of you know him, and I'm very grateful because I'm actually in his presence for this podcast and we're able to record it together. So welcome. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. It's great to be here. Appreciate it very much. Thank you. Yeah, we'd love to hear your story for those who have never heard your personal faith story. You're an amazing speaker. I'm I'm here listening to you this week up in Western New York at Our Lady of Mercy with Father Matthew Phelan and Father Ken Breen and the parishioners here. It's it's such a pleasure. So thank oh, you thank for you. that. Thank you. So um, I was born in Barbados in the West Indies, and uh, we immigrated to the United States when I was about three years old. And my mother is actually the first Catholic in our family. She was a Methodist and converted to the Catholic faith when she was a teenager. And I am the oldest child of, of my mom and dad. So I'm the actually first baptized Catholic because obviously my mom did not have to be rebaptized when she came into the church's confirmation in Eucharist. And uh, so I've always been Catholic. You know, people sometimes think I'm a convert because like the, the way I preach, you know, you sound like a Baptist preacher. I'm like, no, I sound like a Catholic who's in love with Jesus. <laughs> so, but I've never been anything but Catholic. So and then my mom uh, was deeply committed to Catholic education. So Catholic grade school, Catholic high school, Catholic college and then Catholic graduate school as well. And um, ever since I was about 12 or so, I thought I might have vocation. Uh, to the priesthood and and religious life. And so I went to St. Benedict's Preparatory School in Newark, New Jersey, which is run by Benedictine monks. And so uh, I 
they had a come and see program. I did that all four years of high school. And then um, uh, when I went to college, I uh, um, went back and lived in the monastery for part of the time during the summer vacation. And I worked for a year after graduation to join the monastery. I thought, all right, this is it. I'm doing everything God wants me to do. And my uh, parents got divorced when I was in college and um, my mom got sick and almost died. And I'm the oldest child. And so I've always helped take care of my family with my mom. So um, so I left the monastery temporarily to take care of her. And when I was out of the monastery, I went to a wedding and met the woman who ended up being my wife at the wedding. So uh, God had other plans. <laughs> and that's how I ended up in Oregon. I'm from, I grew up in Jersey, but um, my wife's from Oregon and she didn't like the East Coast. So whoop, we're out there. And I've been out there now 20, 23, 23 years. Um, and so when we first got there, I discerned a call to the diaconate and um, started the diaconate program, was ordained uh, this this year. As a, in fact, boy, this is Thanksgiving. Um, yeah, November 23rd is 18 years as a deacon. Oh, congratulations. Yeah, yeah thank you very much. Comes yeah. just in time for this airing of this podcast. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Yeah. 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 What an amazing story. Thank you so much for sharing. There are things I didn't know about you. I mm-hmm. did not know that. I didn't know that you discerned or that you were mm-hmm. uh, a child of divorce as well, mm-hmm. as you mentioned. Yeah. Um, just so happens that the foundation that I represent, that's what we do. We make outreach to Catholics affected by divorce and separation. Yeah. You know, I do get asked by young people you know, when, when they hear my story, this, you know, they're, they come to me and say, what is it like, you know, to like be a child of divorce? And, you know, um, and I thought about it for a while. And um, so the answer that I give now is, you know, I said, marriage is a beautiful thing. It really is. But it's also the cross. And divorce is when the parents put the cross down and the kids pick it up. You know? Oh, that, that's yeah, a great way. That, that was that was my because I, I was just trying to describe how I felt. You know, and how the four of us kids were affected by what went on um, in our house growing up. Um, all four of us were affected very differently by what happened. And, uh, you know, so like I'm the only one that's married. I mean, one, my, one, one brother never got married. He said, if that's what marriage is like, I don't have anything to do with it. And so he never got married. And then my other two siblings got married and divorced, unfortunately. Yeah, I do understand that. I, I myself am also a child of divorce and the oldest, too. Mm-hmm. Oh, I, I, that's right. Something in common. But I never heard that idea of when the parents uh, put down the cross and the kids pick it up. That's something I don't think I'll forget. Yeah, it was just, like I said, a way of trying to describe what it felt like, you know. And even though we were, quite frankly, glad that they weren't together anymore because it, was, it wasn't a good situation. It's still, I mean, your father's still your father, you know. I mean, despite everything, he's still your dad. Um, and, and I'm going to, you know, and during the mission, you know, I, I was going to tell the story. But there was a time I didn't talk to him for 18 years. You know, we, we became estranged. And, um, you know, and I, quite frankly, wouldn't have cared if I, ever, if I ever spoke with him again. And it was, and for me, I had to learn a lot of lessons about becoming a father, because I thought I was going to be a father, like a priest father, not like a father father. So I never thought I'd be married or anything. So um, when I did get married, I had to figure figure out the fatherhood thing, because I did not have a good model growing up of what that was supposed to be like. Obviously, in a monastery, you know, I mean, you don't learn about fatherhood there, and so I I had to I had to figure it out, 
you know, and, and made some mistakes. But then, um, you know, as I got, especially with the diaconate program, as I, um, because we had three of our, two of our four kids um, before I was ordained. And then the twins came like a, a couple of weeks after I was ordained. Uh-huh. After they were due any, any day. Because uh, once you get the 36 weeks with twins, um, you know, that's considered full term. Yes. You know, but we made it to 38 weeks one day. Mm. So before. Wow. <laughs> so, yeah. So, um, yeah. So, so I, so as I was um, studying for the diaconate, um, that's when we also started having kids. And so it was, it was great. So, I, so I was, as I was learning about the diaconate and growing in that vocation, I was also at the same time um, learning uh, about my vocation as a father too, you know, to, to my kids. So, so it was a very interesting time. Yeah. yeah. Thanks for sharing. And and also just for people who are listening who want that support, if they are affected by divorce, just wanted to mention to them to reach out to our foundation at knownotdust.org because that's what we do. We try to help adult children of divorce and those uh, couples, you know, who are affected by it, too, mm-hmm. uh, because there's a need out there, you know, no, in, definitely in our Catholic is. church. Definitely. So back to fatherhood. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, I know that before this, uh, we started to air this program, we were talking about the idea of you sharing a little bit about that whole idea of the importance of Catholic fatherhood. Mm-hmm. Well, one thing is just quickly, just talking about Thanksgiving. You know, that's important. That's an important word for us as Catholics, um, because the, in, in Greek, the word for Thanksgiving is Eucharistain. Right. And that's where our word Eucharist comes from, literally means Thanksgiving. And during the mention, uh, during the parish mission, I mentioned in paragraph 1354 of the catechism, there's a partial letter from uh, St. Justin Martyr to the emperor Antonius Pius in the year 155. And in that letter, he's explaining to the emperor what Christians do. And he says, um, you know, that the, the one who presides, so the priest, you know, does the prayers and the thanksgivings. He, he gives that he gives thanks. Literally, he gives Eucharist, you know. And so on the Thanksgiving Day, it only makes sense to be mindful and thankful. You know, it, although I, I got to be honest with you, a lot of people are thankful that these years are going to be over soon. <laughs> <laughs> Including myself, it's been a tough year for me and and for so, so many other people for a lot of reasons. Uh, And I'll be glad 2020 has got myself. Bill's laughing. Yeah, but 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 I think I think to be thankful for the fact that uh, despite everything, the craziness and the insanity that's gone on this year on so many levels, um, to be thankful that we have an opportunity uh, to be able to. articulate our faith, to live our faith, to come through adversity. And because look, the church has been through so many difficulties uh, over the centuries, you know, and we're still here now. So what we're, we're going to get through this. Um, but we need to be thankful and recognize that God is allowing this for a reason. And often when things like this happen, it's always to remind us that we need to be drawn closer to him, deeper into his heart, you know, um, drawn into more divine intimacy you know, these are my, hey, I'm still here despite everything going on. I'm still here. And to be able to have trust in him, you know, uh, even in these difficult times. So so I'm, I'm grateful for the extra time. For example, I got to spend with my kids, you know, because I have two in college and we did not expect them to be home. But now with the coronavirus, but they're, you know, in March, their ca- uh, colleges canceled classes. So everybody came home. It's like, oh, we got all this extra time together. So I was I was thankful for that. And we have some, now that they're adults, we're having much different conversations now. 
you know, exactly. and uh, yeah, so it's very interesting. It's been very good. Um, and then, uh, you know, my wife and I have been able to have some more time together and, and stuff, although we, we get, get a little on each other's nerves a little bit because I'm not traveling as much, not nearly as much as, as I had been in the past uh, this year. Uh, so it's so it's been good. And we, we do, even though uh, despite everything of this year, we do have a lot to be thankful for. Exactly. And I think there was a lot of blessings in the, that bringing together of families. And, and you described your children in college. And same thing for me. I have one that's in college and she's doing online school right now. And my uh, older yes. daughter just graduated from college. So same kind of thing. And we were all home for quite a bit of time. And now we're just starting to get out and uh, doing more things outside of the home in our work. Uh, yeah, exactly. So, yeah, exactly. So. Yeah. Well, with regard to fatherhood, I mean, um, a couple of things. Uh, fatherhood for us as Catholics starts, well, first of all, we have to understand that God is a, fa- a father, right? Um, unlike many religions um, where God is seen as very distant or God is seen as a taskmaster, for us, we see God as a loving father. You know, and, and that's the image that, that our Lord Jesus Christ gave to us. You know, he's the son, right? The second person of the Trinity. And so um, he, he, he said everything he heard from the father, he gave us. And what's the father's message? You know, love God and love your neighbor as yourself. You know, feed the hungry. You think the thirsty, clothe the naked. Blessed are those, you know, who mourn. They shall have blessed are the poor in spirit. I mean, there's just wonderful messages, but also some difficult messages as well. So, you know, the gospel is, is both beautiful and challenging, you know, Um and so with, with regard to understanding that God is our father, so we men are allowed to borrow God's sacred name, Father, for the brief time that we're here on this earth. So whether that's a spiritual or a father like the priests or physical fathers um, like myself or even single men, you know, are witnessing to the fatherhood of God, like a spiritual fatherhood, if you will, as witnesses to the culture. And I'll give you an example of what I'm talking about. I was in law enforcement for 23 years and a police chief for 11 years on a college campus. And um, I, we got called out to a, um, uh, a party, you know, about a local police call me, hey, we get your kids are out here. So I went out there and uh, we're trying to separate, you know, the local kids from our kids. And a young lady who's fairly intoxicated came up to me and said, my friend is missing. I don't know where my friend is. I came with my roommate. Can't find her now. And, uh, and I said, okay, so look, why don't we check her, you know, what's her phone number? So we called her, no answer, went to voicemail every time we called. And so we're going to send a car over to the house to check out. And so this, as we're speaking, a young man comes up to me, goes, uh, oh, she's home. She's safe. I'm like, how could you possibly know that? He said, well, I was standing here just, you know, having a good time. And I saw the young lady sitting on the couch and she was clearly intoxicated. And I saw a guy walk up to her, you know, say some things to her. And then he took her into a room and closed the door. And the guy said, I thought to myself, that could be my sister. So he said he barged into the room and he says to the guy, uh, he says to the girl, uh, excuse me, can I get you a ride home? Like call you an Uber or a Lyft or something to get you a ride home. And the guy in there said, what are you doing? He said, I'm not talking to you. And he turns his attention back to the young lady. He goes, can I get, make sure you get a ride home? She said, yes. So he showed me his phone. And sure enough, it had the Uber account. It had the time to pick it up, the time dropped her off, the distance, every how much it cost. And sure enough, we went to the house. She was there. And the reason that why she didn't answer her phone, she had 
got into the home, she walked in, and passed out on the couch. So she was home. So, and, this, and I said, this guy gets it. This guy gets it. That's an exercise of a single man of, a spir- of the spiritual oh, yes. fatherhood uh, of, of God. Amen. That's a good story. That's mm-hmm. beautiful. And, yeah. you know, m- men, uh, man, what an incredible thing to, you know, just being fathers, stepping up, right? Stepping into the, uh, stepping into the gap where, where, where sin is, where, where um, you know, we, through our action, we can do something, right? We can do something uh, through our action, you know, and, and what a beautiful story, Deacon. Uh, that's incredible. Thank you so much for sharing that, especially on Thanksgiving, uh, you know, on this Thanksgiving episode to share that with our, you know, with our listeners, uh, because uh, how many fathers uh, would, would desire a young man to take care of their daughter like that? Right, mm-hmm. I mean, right. you know, how many fathers? I mean, like, you know, if I was if I was that dad, man, I'd be like, okay, you've got her hand if you want it. You know what I mean? Yeah. That's that's just like a beautiful story. Yeah, yeah, that's so true. And, and it's we trace the kind of the biblical roots of fatherhood. We see in Genesis, uh, Genesis chapter two, it says he put the the Lord put the man in the garden to till and to keep it. And the words there in Hebrew are abad and shamar. And they uh, so abad is a form a, a work a form of work that's in the form of of, of a service, mm-hmm. and shamar means to protect and defend. So literally, God puts him in the garden to till and to keep. It, it literally is to serve, protect, and defend. So he's giving God is giving the man his mission, his purpose, his vocation, his calling, to serve, protect, and defend everything that's being entrusted to you including eventually his wife, right? So we see that Adam failed in his role as as a father, right? I mean, the devil was there messing with his family, and he stood there and said and did nothing, you know? And so um, what St. Paul does in Ephesians, he brings us back uh, to a proper understanding of fatherhood, although he does it in a way which kind of irks people because uh, he says in Ephesians 5, 22, wives be submissive to your husbands. And, you know, you know, when that reading comes around in a cycle, yes, the cycle, <laughs> the lector said, I want to do the short form. I don't want to read that stuff. You know, I'm like, no. And I tell her, I said, read the long form because I'm going to preach on it. Mm-hmm. You know, make sure because if you don't, I'm going to embarrass you by getting up there and reading it again. You know, because they don't <laughs> like it. And, and, and as Catholics, when do you be afraid of scripture? Right. So it starts off in verse 21. It says, be subject to one another out of reverence for Christ. So Paul sets the table by talking about mutual subjection one to the other, which is the essence of covenant relationship, a relationship of intimate, personal, loving, and life-giving communion that God invites us into, you know, and it's our job to respond to God's invitation to love, life, intimacy, and communion. So, so that's the relationship that Paul's referring to. And how does he end 10 verses later in verse 31? He quotes from Genesis chapter 2. Therefore, a man leaves his father and mother and cleaves to his wife, and the two become one. Again, covenant relationship. So, so the book ends of what Paul's talking about with regard to marriage is covenant relationship. Then why do we have to be afraid of what comes in the middle? But then the next verse comes, wives, be submissive to your husbands or be subject to your husbands. Okay, the word there in Greek is hupotasso. And hupotasso is a military word that was used by Roman soldiers to describe troops arranged in divisions 
that place themselves under the mission and direction of a leader who is typically a general. So what is St. Paul saying? Wives, place yourself under your husband's mission. What is his mission? Verse 25, husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church. How did Christ show his love for the church? Offering himself. Yeah, he died. died. He died for her. He gave his life to her. So St. Paul is saying, wives, place yourself under your husband's mission because his mission is to die to himself every day of his life to live for you and the children you will have together. That's what St. Paul is saying. Has nothing to do with women being less than men or being slaves of men. You know, again, in English, the sense doesn't get across to what St. Paul is actually trying to say there. But that is the purpose uh, and the mission of what Paul is is trying to say there. He's trying to bring us back to a deeper idea. Because remember, he's talking to a group of people who are coming into the church. They're used to treating each other like objects. And Paul is saying no. We can't think or act like he already said early in Ephesians, you can't think or act like the world. We have to put on the mind of Christ. So now he's addressing married couples and the way that and our husbands and wives are supposed to interact with each other. But he's, he's doing it through the lens of Christ. But the language that we, we use in English, yeah. you know, loses that sense and everybody gets all upset. And I don't want to read that at my wedding, but but it's actually uh, very deep and very, very beautiful. Yeah, good clarification. Yeah, you know, and you can clearly see, Deacon, that, you know, what Paul is calling us to is 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 to avoid the trap of of Adam, to stand there and do nothing, right? Because, I mean, Christ is the one that stands there uh, by the tree till death. You know, when you think about it, you know, Adam might not be anywhere near the tree, but Christ is on the tree, you know? And and that's the amazing thing about what you're highlighting for people is that men are called to be on right next to that tree, next to their wives so closely that and and give thanks and give praise for all that they're doing to support them in their mission. See, that's that's the thing that I think we're all missing. And if we all and if we all knew what you were talking about and what you just highlighted for us, man, wouldn't our marriages look differently? Wouldn't our kids, the way we raise our kids, wouldn't that look different? You know, wouldn't our society, wouldn't our school system look totally different if if this is what what we understood that God was calling us to and then we acted upon it? So so just incredible. Thank you so much for unpacking that for us. Sure. No, happy to. And, you know, one thing I want to draw attention to uh, for the women as well is that when, you know, when we think of the the Trinity, sometimes women ask me, they're not trying to be heretics or anything, but they're saying, okay, I I totally get Jesus reveals to us that God is a Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But where am I in that as a woman? You know, because the Holy Spirit's not, although the word ruach in Hebrew for spirit is feminine, you know, but, but but obviously the 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 Holy Spirit overshadowed Mary, so a, a, a woman can't get another woman pregnant. You know, so the Holy Spirit over there's episkato in Greek, which is the same word actually that's used for the glory cloud that comes down over the 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 um the Ark of the Covenant in the Old Testament. Uh, it's the same word for overshadowing Mary. So you know, so but I said, okay, here. So so when the church thinks about God. We can only speak about God by analogy, right? I mean, because if, if we knew God, we, the only way we can really know God is to be God. 
And the only one that knew God that way was Jesus. <laughs> right? Yes. So, so, so we can only speak about God by analogy or what has been revealed to us through the uh, scriptures and, and through Christ. So when the church talks about, for example, the inner life of God, the God of life, uh, the, the life of God within himself, it uses this fancy language, circumcision or divine perichoresis. All that means is this, is that when Jesus says, for example, in John chapter 10, the father and I are one. Now, he doesn't mean that they're the same, but he says that they, they share one divine nature. And so theologians will say things, well, okay, well, how is the father in the Son and the Holy Spirit. How is the Holy Spirit and the Father and the Son? You know, um, when Jesus says, I, you know, I have to leave, because no, Jesus, don't leave us. Don't leave us after, after Pentecost. And he said, well, I have to go, because if I don't go, then, I, then the, we can't send you the Spirit. So obviously the Spirit is working through the Father. So how does all that work? We, that we would call that God's heart. The Israelites would call that God's heart, God's inner life. Um, and so I think when God created a woman, in Genesis chapter one, that he pulled from his heart to create her. Because don't we say women are the heart of love? They're the heart of the family. They're the heart of the home, right? And women are, you know, in general, are much more interior than men. They're, they're much more in touch with their feelings, much more in touch with their emotions. Their reproductive organs are on the inside. Um, they speak three times as many words per day as men do. You know, so I, I think it reflects, women reflect that beautiful inner life of God. But then we also talk about what's called the economy of salvation or the workings of salvation, not like supply and demand curves, but oikoinomia in Greek, which means the workings of. So then how does God, this beautiful life of God, this hidden life of God, make itself known to us, right? And the fullness of that revelation is Jesus Christ, right? And so that outer life is to, to protect that beautiful inner life of God. You know, so that's why I think when he created a male, that so they work together. The inner life and the outer life work beautifully together. And that's why Paul says that, and in fact, in Genesis, quoting Genesis, that they're one. Because you don't separate your inner life from your outer life. It's all you, you know? And that's, and that's beauty and, and the depth of understanding the relationship between husbands and wives and mothers and fathers. They're not opposed to each other. You know, and often women will, will say, well, you know, we want to be priests. No, priests are fathers. Priests are fathers. So so there's two things when I think about that, when, when women say things like that. Well, how can we can't be priests? One is, is that you're, to me, you're saying I'm not good enough being a woman that in order for me to be better, I have to be a man. That, that makes no sense to me. You know, because look, Mary wasn't, uh, I mean, look, the greatest example of what it means to be human is a woman. The greatest saint in the history of our church is a wife and a mother. The greatest example of what it means to follow God's will perfectly is a woman, not a priest, not a man, not a pope. So you're going to tell me you'd rather be a priest than to be in the image of Mary, who's the archetype for the church? Oh, come on. What? <laughs> what? The church has a beautiful theology of women. My goodness, read Mulieris Dignitatum by John Paul II, the, the, the Dignity and Vocation of Women in English, 1988 document on women. It's phenomenal. It, that rocked my world, actually. That changed everything for me when I was in college. Reading that document, just like, okay, okay. I, 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 whoa, John Paul II just, just rocked my world here. Amazing document. Um, you know, and I would recommend, you know, for, for uh, fathers out there, 
um, if they're thankful for the, the the gift of their fatherhood and for their 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 family, even priests too, you know, for the gift of their spiritual mm-hmm. father, because they're fathers of families and parishes, to read that document in adoration, Mulieres Dignitatem, to get really get a, a deep appreciation um, for the really for the the role of women in their lives. I'm definitely going to read that one. It's, I it's think amazing. I read it a while ago, but yeah. it's always good to go back and reread, right? Mm-hmm. Because you got a good memory, though. You really do, just in bringing all of that to us, having to do with fatherhood and tying it all together for our understanding. So thank you so much. Now, you're also an author. I wondered if you can share with us some of your books. Have you written on any of these topics? Yes, as a matter of fact. Yeah, so I wrote a book uh, called The Mass and Sacred Scripture, which I've been actually selling at the mission, which actually sold out of them. (laughs) But but what I do is I go through the entire Mass line by line and show where every line of the Mass comes from the Bible. You know, because I don't think Catholics realize that, you know, they think, oh, well, they like back in, you know, um, 2010, they they updated the language of the mass, which actually is more faithful to the scripture than what we had before. Because there was uh, when they translated the mass in the 1970s, they used uh, a, a translation um, uh, format called dynamic equivalence. So it's basically paraphrasing what was actually said um, as, as a, uh, in, in the translation we have now is called formal equivalence. It's more of a literal translation. Um, but, but I think it's more, I think it's more beautiful. For example, um, there's a beautiful poem that I memorized in high school called the Lake Isle of Innisfree by Robert Frost it says, I will arise and go now and go to Innisfree and the small cabin build there of clay and wattles made. Nine bean rows will I have there, a hive for the honeybee, and live alone in the bee loud glade. And it goes on, right? So that's formal equivalence. Now, dynamic equivalence, wait, I will get up now and go to industry. I'm going to build a house and raise some bees. Now, I just said the same thing. But <laughs> obviously, <laughs> it's not as beautiful. It's not as articulate. It's not as, it doesn't get the same sense across as the formal equivalence. Well, that's the translation we had before. You know, so, for example, the Lord be with you, and we say, and also with you, but literally it says in, in the scriptures, and with your spirit. And so the church said, let's go back to the, uh, the uh, take more time and, and have a more uh, literal translation of what it actually says there. So some people were thrown off and stuff, but actually, for someone who studies the scriptures, it's actually quite beautiful to go back to that language. So I wrote a book about that, um, and I also have a Q&A section in the back. Uh, so if your kids are, why do I got to go to mass? And why is Eucharist important? And all this. I, so I have a question and answer section in the back. Then my, uh, my second book was called Behold the Man. It's a theology of male spirituality. It's 300 pages. So I had a, I had a lot to say. And the longest chapter in that book is on fatherhood. Um, I spent a lot of time. It's probably twice as long as any other chapter in the book. Because uh, I, I approached fatherhood from all three angles, from the priesthood, there's a, a long section on the priestess father and then fathers, physical fathers, and then also single men as fathers. So I wanted to spend a lot of time on that. Uh, so that book is uh, uh, it's a bestseller from Ignatius Press. Then uh, my next book is called Ignite, Read the Bible Like Never Before with Sonia Corbett. So Sonia Corbett's amazing speaker. Sonia and I are, are good friends. We decided to collaborate on a book together. And um, and so we did. We co-wrote, we co-authored that together. It's a wonderful book about immersing yourself, really have an intimate relationship with Christ through the scriptures. And then uh, the latest book is on uh, Father Augustus Tolton. 
Uh, it's called Father Augustus Tolton, the slave that became the first African-American priest. It's not a biography because there's already a biography out on Father Tolton called From Slave to Priest by Sister Carolyn Hemisaf. My book is about lessons we can learn from the life of, of Father Tolton. So um, overcoming slavery, the power of prayer, finding joy in God's mercy, you know, um, overcoming adversity, the building strong families, you know, all the values that were important to Father Tolton and what he, what he tried to, um, uh, how he tried to live his priesthood. You know, I said, well, how can we take the, the, those amazing values of this priest and, and incorporate them into our, our life and our, and our church today? And that's what I tried to do in that book. And I'm working on another book now on um, the service ministry of the, of the deacons. Yeah, so... Awesome. Can't wait to check out all of those books. They're probably on Amazon too. Yeah, they're all on they're all on Amazon. Yeah, absolutely. Good. Yeah. You have to. So, hey Bill, uh, I I appreciate that you brought up the idea of fatherhood. He's just got so much to share and especially you said that last book that you focused so much on it. Yeah, that's right. On Behold the Man. Yep. And even in, in the uh, the Tolton book where I talk about family, building strong families, I do talk about the fact cuz Father Tolton's father died in the Civil War. When he was still a child, his father escaped to the Underground Railroad to fight for the freedom for his family. And unfortunately, he died very early in the war. But his mother ended up escaping through the Underground Railroad anyway into into Illinois and and raised her family by herself. But she always kept the memory of his father alive for him. And you see you see that in in, in Sister Carolyn Hemisat's book. How she kept, you know, when they were young, she kept telling about his father and what he was like and, you know, how he really wanted to free his family. And, oh, it's just it's just beautiful. Yeah. Thank you so much for sharing. Yeah. You know, Deacon Harold, thank you so much for for being here and just and and being willing to just pour your heart out to our listeners. We've we've got, you know, um, just. You have so much wisdom, and uh, you're just able to articulate things in such a powerful way uh, for, for for people. And, you know, it, it leads us to gratitude. These these things lead us to um, the, the order that God gives the world. You know, if we, if we follow this, right, if we follow this, you know, plan— that you've just laid out this beautiful plan for how fathers lead their families, how they, this has got to transform our culture and our society and our world and our families little by little. If we, if we do this, right? Like, like if we were each to commit ourselves to this and be grateful and thankful for, for the plan that God designed and instead of straying far away from it, you know, maybe talk a little bit about, you know, how how this does and can re- redeem our society because we, you know all these things you're talking about it's it, it's beautiful and it's like oh man this is utopia right but but we're so far away from that right now in our culture and and, and we've seen so much of that this year that you know um, how do we how do we as men and and even daughters and, and wives um, witness this to the world? How do we, how do we witness this great plan that you've laid out in the first half of this program to the, to the world? How do we do that? Well, I think the, the first thing we need to do, I mean, cause I think everybody's frustrated with what's going on in our society now, especially people of faith. 
So, and everybody's racking their brains trying to figure out how to fix it. Well, in order to fix society, we have to fix the church. And in order to, um, because we even have confusion within the church. I mean, you have German bishops trying to go off and teach all kinds of crazy things. And, you know, there's, there's, a, a, there's documents that are being issued by the church that some are very unclear, you know. And so you have to back up then, okay, in order for to, to us to, to work on the issues of the church, we have to go to the first society, which is the domestic church, which is the family. So if you build strong families, you build a strong church. You build a strong church, you build a strong culture. So we can turn things around. We can take this culture back um, from the more relativists and the secular humanists and the rugged individualists. But what we have to do is start building strong families again, which means what? We can't outsource our responsibility of teaching our children the faith to the schools. The schools can't do it. I mean, look, let me put it, let me put it this way. The schools, youth group, confirmation class are wonderful, but they're there to support what's supposed to be going on at home, not take the place of it, you know? And so what we need to do is, um, uh, so when the kids are learning all this stuff about Jesus in their classes and they come home, they need to see that faith being lived out because they're getting a lot of head knowledge. But when they come home in the family, that's where the heart knowledge comes in. That's where they learn to fall in love with Jesus is at home. They won't learn to fall in love with Jesus at school, but they'll learn to fall in love with Jesus at home. But if they don't see that, if they don't see parents praying together, if the faith is not the heart and center of that life, if they aren't going to mass, oh, hey, here, you, you, you can drive now. Here, take these. You go to mass yourself. I mean, come on. If it's not important to their parents, then it's not going to be important to them. So the more that we can witness to the power of God's love in our own families, I think the, the stronger the bond is going to be and the connection is going to be with our own children. And I think they'll stay in the faith because if we give them the courage, especially um, as moms and dads, and they see us standing up against the voice of the culture, you know, that's, that's messages that are very antithetical to the faith. Um, and we keep seeing about the, 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 uh, the nuns, not the sisters, but the N-O-N-E-S, the, the growing number of young people who are becoming more, uh, becoming religiously unaffiliated. So we thought, oh, they're leaving the Catholic Church for the Protestant Church. No, the statistics show they're leaving the church for nothing. They're becoming atheists or agnostics. And so we, in order to, 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 to pull all that back, we have to build strong families. Mm-hmm. And so you have, you have strong fathers, you have strong mothers, uh, you're going to have strong children. Um, and, and it just can't be like piecemeal. I mean, we all have to participate in that. Um, and it's difficult because you can't give what you don't have. Like, and if you said, Deacon, can I borrow $20? And I reached into my wallet, which is like empty, like all of the time. I can't give you $20 because I don't have $20 to give you. So if we're expecting parents to pass on the faith to their children, if the parents aren't catechized themselves, they ain't got nothing to give to their kids. You know? Absolutely. So so we have to make sure. I, I think at parents is one of the things we should be doing is having catechetical sessions for parents as well as kids whether that's family night in the parish, whether that is like a, a parallel. So if the kids are going through confirmation, there's a parallel instead of parents going home and, and having a drink, they can stay at the church and have their own adult kind of faith formation thing or a Q&A session or, you know, what are my kids learning about their confirmation? And, and, you know, or a fresher, something, something. So that when they come home, they can have actually have conversations that are meaningful uh, about their relationship with, with Christ. Um, so I think we need to start there and then, and then the, the, again, spread to the church and then spread to the culture. Yeah. You know, that's beautiful. 
Yeah. I'm thinking also, I know that I've come across this many times within the church, and I'm sure you've heard this before, those grandparents who are very devout uh, Catholics, who back in the day, they were ones that really celebrated their faith. And now they're seeing their kids and their grandkids not doing anything. Any advice for those grandparents? Yeah. So um, I think grandparents could be a powerful witness to their to their children today because they have so much history, you know. Um, and one thing that I think that we take for granted is that, you know, we don't rely enough on our on our grandparents. You know, like all those wonderful stories about the families and, and the faith and even recipes and things like that are all dying with them. You know, because we have a, a generation of young people are not really interested in anything that the older generation has to say, you know. Um, but I think it's important for us, um, for, for the grandparents to really be honored and, and reverenced and to really sit down at their feet and listen to their stories and listen to their trials and, and, and see what faith means to them. Because I've met many young people who are adults now who actually said that their faith came from their grandparents, not their parents, you know, so grandparents definitely need to pay the the, the, the pray, uh, play a stronger role, a strong role in the faith formation of their grandchildren. Absolutely. That's right. That's right. Thanks for sharing on that, because I mean, I think all of us have seen when we go to mass, it, there's still a very high percentage of baby boomers and beyond at Sunday and daily mass. Am I right? Yes, that's correct. That's correct. And uh, uh, and a lot of those grandparents, their kids aren't practicing the faith, which is a, a, a cross for them that they're carrying, but they're trying to take their grandchildren. If the, if their if their kids are, are open, so, okay, well, you're not going, but can I take my grandchild? Okay. Yeah. You can take a church if you want. Fine. That's fine. And so the grandparents are there taking the church and pointing out the different things. Here's, here's that stained glass window. Here's what the altar is. And so they're the ones that are, you know, um, inculcating the faith into their grandchildren. So, yes, they know when the grandchildren go home, they're not going to have any conversation about faith. But when they're with grandma, grandpa, they know they're going to get it. And so, you know, they're planting those seeds. And the seeds are there, especially if they've been baptized, then the Holy Spirit can begin to work and allow that faith to grow. You know, even if it's just coming from the grandparents, God could work. God doesn't need much. You know, what, what does Jesus say? If you have faith the size of a mustard seed. And, and I remember when, in graduate school, Father Mitch Pacwa, our scripture professor, brought in mustard seeds. And those are tiny. Like you ever see in, um, like in the, um, what do you call that mustard? The, the ground mustard, whatever. They actually have mustard seeds in them. They're, they're like, like grains of sand. But they grow into these, if you ever go to the Holy Land, these massive bushes, and those are mustard seeds. So that is a, it's a very beautiful visual of what Jesus is trying to say. You don't have to have much. God can work with a little bit, yeah. you know, but God won't force you, though. So that's what's beautiful of the grandparents, not forcing their grandkids. They're just opening them, exposing them to the beauty of the faith, and God can work with that. And maybe a great day for us to discuss this because families are together. That's right. Listening. This is Thanksgiving. Mm-hmm. And... The grandparents are together with those uh, grandkids. So thanks for bringing that one up. On the topic of your being an author, I know that that has extended out to you doing a lot of speaking engagements. Mm-hmm. Maybe this year in 2020, you did a little more of this kind of stuff, you know, the, yeah, the online. Yeah. <laughs> um, but tell us more about what you can do for those li- who are listening. We have a lot of pastors and people who are, you know, in charge of making decisions on. Yeah. So, so prior to this year, I was, last year I traveled 250,000 miles around the world. So over the last 
10, I've been, I left my career to do this eight years ago, but I was speaking part-time even before that. So about the past 10 or 12 years or so, I traveled to about 19 different countries. Um, like I said, I traveled 250,000 miles until this year. But I do parish missions. I do conferences. I speak at high schools. I speak at universities. Um, I do all, retreats. I do all kinds of events and I have about 20 21 or 22 different topics, different topics that I speak on with regard to the Catholic faith. Um, and so I do Lenten missions. Um, I do Advent missions. I do just, I guess, all kinds of events. I do Legatus. I speak to the Legatus organization. I do pro-life uh, fundraising. I do ra- uh, Catholic radio pledge fundraising. I mean, it's all kinds of things. And so um, the easiest way, just go to the website, deaconherald.com. And uh, all the information, there's a ton of free stuff on there. You can download stuff for free and, you know, has access to all my social medias on there as well. And that's the best place to go and, and get information. Yeah, that's amazing. And I do think that some of our listeners are probably thinking, I really want him to come out to my church. So 2021 is going to be a good year. Yeah, I hope so. <laughs> it's, you know, it's, it's, it's interesting. I, I was at a parish mission in Scottsdale, Arizona. And it was like it was it was that weekend where they said, OK, well, if you're elderly, if you're older, you may want to just stay home. And this before mask or anything like that. And so um, uh, I had not been to this parish before, but the priest told me there were probably about, um, you know, half or maybe two thirds of what they normally are for mass since that since they were issuing those warnings. And I said, well, what do you want to do? You want to keep going? Well, yeah, we're here. We just do the mission. OK, great. So first night of the Monday night, first night of the mission, as I'm speaking, a letter arrives from Bishop Olmsted and he says, shut everything down. No masses, no this, no that. And I'm like, uh, okay. So I was on a plane home to Portland the next day. And I was basically home ever since. It's just like, what now? You know? And I, I got it. I mean, just like everybody else. I was angry. I was frustrated. I'm like, what's going on? You know? And then, um, and then the ability to provide for the family, you know, Lent is the busiest time of the year for me. Yes. You know, and as at right at the beginning of Lent is when all of a sudden now I, you know, I'm home, you know, so I'm like, okay, how's this going to work financially? How's I mean, so I, the same thing that many people have to deal with, I, I, I dealt with that myself, you know, and, and yeah, so, and then, so basically what happened, three things, the engagements either canceled, they rescheduled to next year or the year after, or they pivoted to a virtual format. Now the virtual format for me is fine, but I mean... We're an incarnational church, right? The word became flesh. We need to be with people, you know, so I can only talk to a green light for so long before I'm like, okay, you know, it's a tool and it's a wonderful tool. And a lot of people have been streaming, which has been great because a lot of people who haven't been coming to church have been watching online, even though, and so that's, so, so that can reach a group that can reach people. That's beautiful. And I'm not saying we shouldn't do it, but for me, you know, I I don't mind doing it, but I also need to be with people. I mean, I, I just can't, you know, uh, totally switch to just virtual. That that doesn't. There's no connection there for me. It's not. It's not the same kind of experience. Yeah. You know. Um. But you know, I I, I have been doing both. You know. So you got you got to adapt. You got to pivot and, and and that kind of thing. So I've been adapting the best I can. But I, I'm grateful to be back out uh, on the road again, though. Yeah, we're grateful for you to be here because as we're taping this, I'm up in Western New York. He's, as I said, at Our Lady of Mercy with Father Matthew Phelan, Father Ken, and everyone here. And the mission has been wonderful. 
So what's next for you? Any um, Anything that you want to tell our listeners about that they can look out for you and yeah. projects? So um, uh, my ninth television series is currently airing at EWTN. Uh, so you can catch that on Fridays. Uh, the time is going to depend what time zone you're in. So the best thing to do is go to EWTN's website and look at the schedule. But it's a series that I did with Father Brian Milady, who's a Dominican mm-hmm. uh, theologian on the uh, Ten Commandments. Uh, 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 or the uh, Aseret uh, Haribrot in Hebrew, the 10 words of God, literally. Because commandments is uh, mitzvah uh, in Hebrew. So it's actually, you know, uh, the, the word for 10 commandments is actually not commandments in, in, in any way. But um, so it's on, the, it's on the 10 commandments. It's a 15-part series on the 10 commandments because we can't count. So, no, but no, but seriously, I mean, but there's some commandments that just need more than one episode because it's, it's so deep. And so we took some of the commandments, we expanded them into two, two episodes. But so that's currently on. And although my all my pilgrimages were canceled for this year, um, we're starting to reschedule them for next year. So I have a pilgrimage page on my website. So just keep looking at that. And as the. As we reschedule the pilgrimages, we're going to be posting them. I'm going to be posting all the posters and all the information on the uh, pilgrimage page uh, as well. So, yeah, I'm interested in that. So, I definitely like to check it out. Yeah, I never thought I'd be doing pilgrimages. You know, that's something I never I didn't think would be part of what I'm doing, but God has been good. You know, a door opened. Um, the Israeli government invited me several years ago to to come over there and to experience a pilgrimage in the hopes that, you know, I would go back and then bring people over to Israel. And I had, it was a, an, I've never been to the Holy Land before. It was an amazing experience, especially to be in places where you hear about in the scriptures every week, but to actually be there. Like the, one of the places that struck me on that first trip was in Capernaum or, or it's Kafarnaum, right? And, and, and when Jesus was given to John's, the, the, the uh, dialogue in John chapter six on the Eucharist, I'm the, the bread of life, this guy, I'm the bread of life, you know, and, you know, he eats this bread, lives forever. And you're standing in the ruins of the synagogue, well, actually built over the original one where Jesus was speaking. So you're like, man, like, this is where Jesus actually gave, I mean, it's amazing to be in the upper room you know, where the Last Supper took place and where the Holy Spirit came down on Pentecost, you know, the, to be in the edicule, you know, the tomb, where the actual tomb where Jesus was buried and rose from there. It's just, it just, it rocked me. I mean, I, I never, never approach the scriptures the same way again. When you have that, you have the sense of being and the visuals and the smells and it's just an incredible experience. So I would encourage everybody to go on pilgrimage either italy the holy land there's a number of places we're going to be going over the next couple of years so yeah. yeah as we come out of this pandemic that we have so much to look forward to with getting back to traveling and so thanks for sharing on that yeah thank i you. do think we're almost time to wrap up so any final words uh well no we're in thanksgiving now which is uh for many people the start of the uh well for a lot of people, the holiday season started back in September. I mean, I walked in the stores, they're already showing stuff for Thanksgiving. <laughs> and, and, you know, it's like, you know, like the beginning of September, like, dang, guys, you know. <laughs> um, but, uh, but you know, I, and Advent is right around the corner. So, I mean, just just take this time. And, you know, the church year starts, although the, the 2020 won't end until December 31st, the church year starts with the first week of Advent. So now that we're at this time of Thanksgiving, enjoy this time you know, uh, of Thanksgiving, enjoy this time with your family, and then really use the next couple of days to really start to prepare yourself for the Advent season, 
you know, um, adveniat means coming, you know. Um, uh, so for, we're looking forward to the coming of Christ at Christmas. And remember that this season is about the word becoming flesh, not about gifts and trees, which are wonderful. And those are all signs. But but the biggest sign is the fact that God loves us enough, enough to send his only son to, to help redeem and to save us. And I think that's the greatest gift. Um, and so and so making also that part of this season and and part of the uh, the end of 2020 is a new is a new year for us as Catholics. So maybe our 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 good fortunes will start again at the start of Advent. But just to to remember what really what the season is all about. That's amazing. Thank you so much. It's such an honor for us, honestly, that we can do this podcast, especially on Thanksgiving. I mean, what a good time and great topics. And I invite everyone to please do follow him on social media, Harold Burke Sivers. And your website again is? Uh, DeaconHarold.com. DeaconHarold.com. Oh, my gosh. Such a, such a great conversation. And thank you both. And, uh, and I wish you the best of luck uh, and not only luck, but grace uh, as you uh, continue the mission uh, up there in, uh, in, in Upper New York there. And, uh, and so thank you so much um, for, for being here and taking some time out of your schedule, Deacon and Anne, uh, to, to pre-record this for our Thanksgiving episode. It's been fantastic uh, and just so much fun talking to both of you. So thank you so very much. Yeah, you're most welcome. Thank you for having me. It's been great to be with you. Yeah, well, uh, folks, uh, one more quick reminder that if you still haven't gone over to the Patchwork Heart Ministry website and downloaded the Fearless Scriptural Rosary, go ahead and do that. Uh, It is using the phrases, be not afraid and fear not, and pairing them with the Hail Marys and the Rosary to encourage and uplift you during these difficult times. Uh, As we're talking about and hoping that things are going to be getting better, uh, we always need to know that God is walking with us each and every day. And so it's a free PDF download on patchworkheart.org. Don't forget to do that. And of course, uh, check out all the other things that we have going on as part of our ministry. But uh, for uh, today, thank you so much, and remember to say thanks uh, to, to to God tonight for the many, many blessings He has bestowed on you in your life this year. I know it's a difficult year, it's a different year, uh, but one of the practices my mom always uh, did was she started a book uh, and just puts things she's thankful for it in a note, like a notebook. It sits on, uh, the, you know, like a end table in the living room, and she just writes in there things that she's thankful for. Uh, It's a good practice to start, a great thing to do, and begin here on Thanksgiving. So uh, thank you to each and every one of you for listening and being a uh, great uh, supporter of our ministries. But until next time, from all of us here at Patchwork Heart Ministry, the St. Raymond Anatis Foundation, and Fiat Ministry Network, keep beating to your Catholic hearts and sowing hope into broken hearts. Thanks for listening to this episode of Sewing Hope on Patchwork Heart Radio. For more information about this podcast and our ministries, visit our websites, patchworkheart.org and andesantis.com. You can also follow and interact with us on Twitter at PWH Ministry or andesantis2.